we're not share traders. We're not here trying to trade share prices. We're here to invest in businesses. And I guess that sets a different mindset. And so then we have some frameworks around, well, what are some of the characteristics or attributes of a company that gives us a good chance of investing in a great company? Because we believe in the power of compounding. We believe that great returns come from sticking with good companies and not trying to trade around. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the NZX Opening Bell podcast. My name is James Sharp. I'm a senior relationship manager here at the exchange. We are recording this in early December 2023, and it is a delight today to welcome Managing Director and CEO of the Australian Foundation Investment Company, Mark Freeman. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning. So, Mark, I understand you're over from Australia for the last few days. I guess just to ask kind of the obvious question, what is it like to be over in New Zealand? Is it a place you visit often? Any, any thoughts at all? Yeah, well, I mean, New Zealand's an important place for us to visit. We have quite a few shareholders in this market and some you know, quite long-term investors as well. You know, in that regard, I guess the way we run the company and the shareholders own the company and it's important that we make ourselves available and accountable to shareholders. So we held a shareholder information meeting in Auckland and invited shareholders to attend and they can listen to the presentation and importantly ask questions and have a sense about what we're doing because the shareholders own the company. I guess the other aspect too is that you know New Zealand over time has been a great market for us to invest in as well and we've had great success out of some of our stocks such as Main Freight, Auckland Airport, Fish and Pike or Healthcare. One of our smaller funds has got some Gentrack. There's been some great companies and, and in the early days zero too we bought that when it was still listed on this market. So there's been some great companies to invest in and we like to catch up with them as well. Fantastic, fantastic. Well it's great to see you over here. We do want to get into a little bit in terms of the types of investments, your philosophy, the structure of the company as well. What is the kind of key advantage to invest in a company like yourself versus what people might be familiar with, which is going onto their broker platform and buying a few different individual stocks they like the look of? Yeah, or, or manage funds, which have a different structure, which is, we call that a trust structure, where a company structure. I mean, broadly speaking, I mean, if you buy AFIC shares, it gives you exposure to a diversified portfolio of companies. Most of those are either Australian or New Zealand businesses. But it's called a closed-end structure, so we don't have inflows and outflows. And in our case, there is no external manager. We are simply a cost to the company. We run four listed investment companies. Affix the largest. Our costs get spread across the four companies, and that's the cost. And as a result, that there's no fee or payment. The cost to run the company is very, very low. So, for example, Affix at the moment, we call it the MER, the Management Expense Ratio, People may view that as the fee if you want to manage funded, but it's 0.14%, so 0.14%, and there's no performance fees. Importantly, the shareholders own the company, so we're employees of the shareholders, so we're accountable to the shareholders. And there's a number of other factors. Being a company, you know, we're transparent. Our accounts have to be published to the exchange. Better board of directors. Our directors are very experienced business people. They add a lot to what we do. We are very conscious of tax, so we try and be low turnover and tax effective. And if we want to grow the company at all, we'd be doing it to try and reduce the MER. And so we do that when we think it's a good time for shareholders to invest. We're not forced to sell stocks because of outflows because it's a closed-end structure. So we feel we can make decisions when we want to on the portfolio. So there's quite a number of benefits to having that company structure. Yeah, thanks for kind of sharing those. I mean, just picking up on a two of them, uh, simplifying down to feels like if I as an investor was to invest in AFIC, 
there's less of that investment is getting used to pay for the investments of the, of the kind of pool of assets as opposed to other areas where a high degree of that money that is invested is getting paid for fees and things like that. Well, that's right because there's no management fees or platform fees or fund manager fees. It's simply a cost recover from staff, the rental on our floor space, and that's it. The shareholders own everything else. So everything else goes to the shareholders. You do really get just about all the exposure to markets without that fee leakage. Fantastic. I really want to get into the kind of investment philosophy, the approach. I mean, perhaps a question would be, if you were to start with a blank sheet of paper with investors having invested into the company, what do we invest in? How do you start that conversation? I guess the starting principle is that we're not share traders. We're not here trying to trade share prices. We're here to invest in businesses And I guess that sets a different mindset. And so then we have some frameworks around, well, what are some of the characteristics or attributes of a company that gives us a good chance of investing in a great company? Because we believe in the power of compounding. We believe that great returns come from sticking with good companies and not trying to trade around. So what we're trying to do is apply a set of criteria to companies, and I'll go through some of those in a moment, but then look to buy them when we see value which is important as well. So I guess two of the phrases I would say, we stick to the quality, but by when we see value, they're sort of two of the characteristics we look for. So if you say, well, what makes a quality company? And so some of the things we look at is businesses that have a uniqueness to their business model, or another way of saying that they've got a leadership position, or it might be a developing leadership position, because we tend to find if you have a leadership position in the market in which you operate, generally the best returns go to that company. And we want business models that we think are sustainable over the long term. So have people talk about a moat, barriers to entry. We like companies that have a strong moat or a sustainable business model. And we're sort of wary of companies where an external factor can somehow disrupt the company out of management's control. So that's sort of of three, I would call, industry structure type factors we look at. And then another three we look at is the quality of the people running the company, the management, the board. And there's a number of things we could drill into that to make up that. We prefer companies that have more consistent earning streams rather than sort of lumpy or one-off or cyclical. You can't avoid that completely. It's, it's just our preference. The last one is always been critical is balance sheet. We don't like companies that are too heavily geared up. It's one of the great areas or great ways companies get into trouble is taking on too much debt and then the market turns against you in a downturn. So they're the sort of sort of six factors we consider. That sets us up around what's the quality of the company, but we still want our businesses to have a pathway to grow because we want to see growing profits. So as a long-term investor as we are, the thing that ultimately drives a share price is the profit or earnings per share. So the longer time you go back, share prices will ultimately perform along with the earnings per share or profit growth of the company. And that also profit growth gives dividend growth and dividends are an important part of the equation for our investors. Well, fantastic. And thanks for sharing kind of those principles. And and I guess within that scope, I read on some of your uh, literature on your website about a belief that investing is both an art and a science. Well, what do you mean by that? Is that in relation to what you've just mentioned in terms of that? those? Yeah, I guess there's some... You know, analysis, you can look at the company's profits and balance sheets and there's numbers there. You can look at market shares. So there's a lot of lines to it around that. But at the end of the day, you're trying to invest in a company that's going to be successful going forward. So it's a business that you're crystal balling to some extent. And that's where the art comes in and some of the factors I talked about in terms of, say, backing people 
it's hard to put a formula around backing people. That's just a, I'd say it's an experience of seeing people and managers over many years and when we meet them, developing an understanding of are they really good at their job or do we have concerns? So, you know, there's the art in that and there's thinking about where industries are moving and where a business is moving. Again, this is all crystal balling. You can't put a formula. There's nothing in a textbook. They're judgment calls and those sort of judgment calls loosely labels the art of investing, I guess. Mm. So you need to consider both. Or it's one of my previous bosses is talk market feel. Market feel is really important in terms of what we do as well. But I'd put down again market feel or gut feel is really an accumulation of experiences and you need to apply that as well as some raw analysis. Sounds like experiences over time. The more experiences you have, the more likely that you've seen many conceivable scenarios. We don't get them all right. right. And you've got to make sure that if you have a scar from getting something wrong, that a pretty deep learning experience comes out of that and you apply that and you retest to say, well, against our frameworks, what did we learn from that? Perhaps where we strayed from it. It's a constant learning and developing. As I said, the world's changing, business is changing, but it doesn't mean you have to apply different frameworks. It's just how you apply them. Mark, I say this is absolute gold dust, I'm sure, for many people listening. Maybe just reflecting on your thoughts of the wider market. I also read a comment again in your literature about how the market underestimates sustainability of high quality companies. What do you mean by that? I guess some of the market participants, you know, put valuations on stocks or they tend to have views or recommendations that are very short term in nature. You know, what, what stock's going to outperform over the next six months or 12 months and thinking about businesses in that regard, once you start going out to longer timeframes, five to 10 years, your sort of typical valuation model can underestimate. So if you think about one of the typical approaches, some analysts use a DCF or a discounted cash flow, and they might look at 10 years of growth, and then they might do minimum growth after that. But we've seen some of our great success stories. They're a really good business. They grow for not 10, just 10 years, but 15 and 20 years when you think of companies like CSL and Cochlear, you can underestimate the earning potential in those businesses when they really have those characteristics I talked about earlier. The growth can be a lot longer and more significant than what people are looking for. And if you think back, I still remember you know, CSL when it hit 30 or $40, everyone thought it was the most expensive stock in the world. And it did actually pull back from that point. But you know, now it's $260. And right. that's, that's an example of people underestimating, I guess, the potential earning power from a great company that demonstrates the characteristics that I touched on earlier. Yeah, great stuff. Interesting. You mentioned about crystal balling. So I think maybe a, a relevant question. What do you think when you think about 2024 in terms of the investment, mm. investment landscape, the macro, um, as well as the kind of market dynamic? Yeah. ahead while your views of what you might be seeing. Yeah, well, I certainly uh, learned this from a very early age and had it reinforced multiple times. All I can say is with great confidence is that I have no idea where markets are going next year. Great. I wouldn't have a clue. All we've got to do is keep saying, are we in good companies? Because you can't predict that. But, you know, there's been significant adjustments, obviously, over the last 12 to 18 months with the interest rates running up. People say they run hard. I'd probably call it a normalisation. This is back to really levels, um, depending on which market you're looking at. In New Zealand, the rates are a little bit higher, but it's closer to a long-term average than a sort of a peak right. in, in rates. So I think there's the market still, I think, adjusting to what that means in terms of a fair value for a stock. The markets have come back. You know, when we look on the Australian market, if you look at a PE or 
price to sales or price to book, you know, for whatever that's worth. They're kind of around long-term trends. The US market's probably a little bit high. You know, those sort of factors would say we're sort of just in the middle of the ground and we just therefore stick with what we're doing, saying which are the good companies. Even if you have a flat market, in any one year, there's always a couple of great stocks that for some reason are going out of favour because business isn't a straight line up. Companies have hiccups and problems. And if we think they're just short-term in nature, even though markets may not do much, there's going to be opportunities that always is. So all I can say, the confidence next year, despite what markets do, there'll be five or six great opportunities in really high quality companies. We don't have to mess around in low quality because some of the highest quality companies will give us an opportunity and to be alive to those and capture those when we see them. And yeah, we have been talking about just recently, or what we're seeing a bounce now was, you know, two stocks like CSL and ResMed go out of favour because of all the concerns around weight loss drugs and the stocks got belted but we still think they're great companies. Fantastic. I guess uh, it would be remiss of us not to talk about yourself as well, Mark, in terms of your own journey. You've obviously got a depth of experience. Did you ever envisage yourself in the position you are now? And uh, what key learnings have you made along the way that might be useful to maybe some people kind of just starting out? No, I mean, I don't really want to spend much time talking about myself, but I, I certainly didn't envisage I'd be doing this. And it's this is a privileged position, absolutely privileged position. Ultimately, servants to the shareholders, they own the company. And I've had the privilege of working with some incredible people over my time. You know, every day I walk into the office and I still can't believe I've been doing it for nearly 30 years. I still can't believe I'm there with that opportunity. So you have to make the most of it. To me, it's thing about the role is that sense of purpose that, you know, it's not about making... You know, we're not a managed fund. We're not trying to make money for ourselves. It's, it's to look after the shareholders. And we meet with our shareholders regularly, like our meeting we've done here. And that really grounds you into what we're doing. People work hard for their savings and they're trusting us with their money. You know, that puts a bit of pressure on it, but it does give you that sense of purpose. You know, we always say that we're not... We're not trying to shoot the lights out here. We just want good, solid returns. So I think if you reach for the stars, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. We just want to be in good companies that we think can give good returns over the long term and do it in a very transparent, low-cost way. Moving to close, maybe just a couple of very quick-fire questions, both on the same subject, really. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, well, from our investing, <laughs> stick with the quality is one. And, you know, we value people. That Those two sayings, I mean, I've heard that so many times as I was developing. So we're trying to find value within quality companies. But, you know, more broadly, it's to, you know, stick with our process. The market challenges you because we are crystal born to some extent. But every time I found you stray from our process, it gets you into trouble. So you have to have that sort of focus on what we are trying to do and stick with that. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. And then maybe just to close, what's the one piece of advice you would give to those starting out? So let's say on their investment journey, also perhaps their career journey as well, if you've got a piece of advice you would give. Uh, well, I suppose if you're running a business, it would be to think about what's your leadership position, because that's what we look for in companies. So what is your leadership position that gives you an advantage and to focus on that? Keep your financing strong. Don't get in too much debt. And then the people you put around you is critical because business success in any area is about the people. So if you've got quality people and you understand your leadership position and look after your customers. Um, the other saying I always had, if you, um, if you look after your customers, they'll look after you. That's a really important part in business. In terms of an individual starting out is that probably a couple of things would be have a strong sense of curiosity and a strong sense that, you know, it can be tempting to think you know everything earlier stage, 
Well, you always look back and you always think that, you know, when I was 35, I thought I'd learn everything. And then you get to 40 and you look back and go, actually, I didn't. Then you get to 45 and you look back to when you were 40 and go, actually, I was still learning. You get to 50 and look back and go, actually, I was still learning. So that sense that um, you don't know it all, um, ask and surround yourself with good people who can give you good feedback and experience and be willing to take that on to learn and develop and grow. I think that's really sound advice. So thanks very much, Mark. And it's been great having you here this morning. Great, fantastic insight and a really good understanding of of approach to investing. So with that, so thanks very much for coming on this morning. And again, great to see you here in New Zealand and hopefully see you here again very soon. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.